1: Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host, and today we are so fortunate and I'm excited to have Michelle Moran with us. Michelle is a physical therapy assistant who is actually on our Purple team over in Southern Pines and Pinehurst, and I'm just so excited to be hanging out with you for a little bit. So welcome, Michelle. Why don't you start us off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself?
0: I'm Michelle Moran. I'm a physical therapy assistant on the Purple team with Pediatric Developmental Therapy, I work in Moore County and Richmond County at the Sandhills Children's Center. I also do outreach in Moore County for babies under three and uh, do some outpatient in the afternoons. Yeah,
1: I always say this. It's always a good day when you get to hang out with Michelle. It's always a good day. She is, let me tell you, Michelle rocks. So for those out there who don't know her, I'm sorry, but I'm happy to hang out with you (laughs) for a little bit and talk about Stanley Greenspan stuff. So, well, why don't you just introduce our topic, Michelle? Tell us about the class and introduce our topic for us.
0: Okay, sure. I took um, an online course called DIR Greenspan Floor Time Approach. And basically what this is, is a way to connect with our kids a little bit better. It's basically a connectivity theory. Which we're challenging connectivity of different areas of the brain. We are trying to get different areas of the brain to connect. So Michelle, for everybody's listening,
1: uh, you're a physical therapy assistant. And so a lot of times people wouldn't have thought that the Greenspan floor time approach would be something that would necessarily a physical therapist or physical therapy assistant would be interested in taking. Which is also one reason why I want to do this podcast with you, because I think it's awesome. And I think really, I think everybody, every treating therapist that treats pediatrics should take this. So I think you have a sort of a different slant on this class than maybe what people would expect, which I thought would make it extra interesting. So tell me why this class appealed for you to take and what a physical therapist can get out of this class.
0: I definitely wanted to take it because I feel like we have goals for our kids that are gross motor wise, but I feel like if you can't engage and connect with your kid, then you're not going to get those goals met. If you don't have a solid foundation, and we'll get into it later on, of opening and closing circles of communication with them, how are you going to get them to catch that ball if they can't even look at you in the eye? So I think having that foundation is definitely going to only help us as PTs and PTAs to get them to meet their goals that we have for them.
1: Yep. And I think also what you've touched on too, which I think is key, is really you're looking at the whole child. And to be a good therapist with pediatrics, physical, occupational speech, it doesn't really matter what type of therapist, but to work with kids, you've really got to look at the whole child. You can't isolate oh, well, you know, I'm a speech therapist, I only deal with, you know, neck up, which is correct, you know, or I'm OT, so I'm only worried about, you know, how they use their hands, you know, or PT, I'm only worried about how they're moving, you know, that's a very limited approach. And so I think you really have to look at the whole child and the integration of everything, which is why I think it's awesome that you took this class. And that's why I also think this class will help every discipline.
0: Yes, I definitely think so. You have to definitely look at the whole child when you're in pediatrics. It's just, you know, like you said, it's just how it goes Um, if you want to get the best treatments possible to the children.
1: Yep, I agree. So what is the Greenspan approach? Explain that for us.
0: Yeah, like I was saying earlier, it's basically a connectivity theory. Mm -hmm. Um, we, We want the different areas of the brain to connect. However, we can make that in numerous ways. You can kind of think of it like this. Typically developing children, they have what we'll call highways from point A in the brain to point B in the brain. Our atypically developing children, sometimes they don't get those main highways that the typically developing kids get. And you can give up and say, it's just, I don't know, I'm not ever going to get them to communicate or engage with me. Or you can get in there, take tips from your therapist and whoever you're working with, and especially someone that has taken this class, you can create side roads to the highways. Hmm. So our goal is to get them to connect and engage Whether that's a a main highway or a side road, whether it's delayed on time, it doesn't matter. But this whole approach is basically, that is what we are doing. We are trying to get the different areas of the brain to connect. And we do that by challenging them in all sorts of ways that we'll get into. I love that whole analogy.
1: I think that's the greatest way to think about it. It just matches because it keeps the individualness or the individualization of the child as a focus point and yet you're still trying to go somewhere. So I mean, I love that because every little side roads you create and that you do, you know, you're not losing the child. You're not trying to fit a round peg into a square hole. You know, you can kind of create this side road the way that it's best for this particular child, but you're still trying to get to the main highway to get where you gotta go to achieve goals. And I love that.
0: Exactly, that's basically the foundation for this whole course.
1: I love it. So you just finished the class, I didn't, so you're kind of more up on stuff than I am. So after the side roads and highways, then what's next?
0: Definitely. As another little side note, we are looking at the whole child again. It's a whole mental team. It's not just your physical, how you jump and how you run. We have to look at their entire body inside and out, and that's going to include their emotions, Mm -hmm. how they take emotions in and senses and how they process it and respond, their language, their cognition levels, their motor systems, their sensory systems auditory visual spatial we are looking at literally everything and we'll get into that a little bit later in more detail so the first part of the course is called dir and what this stands for is the d part stands for developmental individual differences and basically we're talking about their functional emotional levels now there's a long list of this and our job as professionals is to rate a child based on this functional emotional scale. Once we have a roundabout idea of which level that they are in, then we can better engage with them and get them to have their circles of communication with us.
1: So you said you have to figure out what area the child is in. Explain that a little bit more.
0: Okay, for instance, the stage one is zero to three months, usually this is, and the, the months and the age is, I'm talking about for typically developing children. So zero to three months, you have attention and regulation. So with a baby, they are able to regulate, they're able to be calm and alert, and they're able to have shared attention. Okay. The baby yep. warm mommy's arms and it's alert and it's calm. The second stage is called engaging the world. It is two to seven months typically, yep. and now the baby is starting to broaden their emotional range and they're actually taking an interest in the human world and they're starting to fall in love with mommy or daddy or caregiver. This is when they start to move their arms and legs and they may imitate a little bit, you know, if you stick your tongue out, they may stick their tongue out. The third stage is interaction and communication. This usually occurs from three to ten months, and now we're going beyond simply just enjoying and loving our caregiver. We're becoming a two-way communicator, and by this, I mean that we are completing five to ten circles of communication at a time. You may ask, well, what is a circle of communication? Basically, that is the interaction when a person, which is the opener, makes a sound comment and gesture and the partner, the closer, responds to that communication in a manner that addresses it. So, for example, I might have a toy in my mouth and I want the baby to take it out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. So I'm opening it by presenting the toy and waving it around or I'm putting it in my mouth or anything. It doesn't matter. It can be a gesture. It can be communication. It can be body language. But then the baby will take that toy from me and they may stick it in their mouth or they just might take it. And that is closing the circle. So I opened it and then the baby closed it. And that can range in varying degrees.
1: It also, like as you're talking, I'm like, oh, yes, yeah, it's all up my alley is speech language all all day long. But I think the way it's explained, again, it sort of fits any discipline because all of this is just, if you think about it and the way that the Greenspan has sort of set this up with these circles of communication it really broadens it from just a speech language kind of thing. So even though you're kind of talking speech language right this minute, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, they're at that stage They're uh, I'm thinking about the levels of the type of communicator they are. The circles of communication just makes it, in my opinion, just simplifies it and clarifies it.
0: Definitely. And, you know, for me, from the PT side point, if I can't get some type of communication, whether that's just a look in the eye to me, direct eye contact, there's no way that I'll be ever be able to address any of the gross motor goals and milestones that I have. Right. So in all the, the circles of communication for me as a PT was very new, and I just was in awe as I was taking this course over Christmas break. <laughs> I have to tell you, I thought of you guys as speech therapists, like, oh, this is what they do. Right.
1: Well, it makes sense too, Michelle. You know, when you're working with somebody's baby, and usually PT is first in on the scene. You know, speech isn't going to come in until they're a little older and they're starting to talk or unless there's you know, it's sort of rare that speech is involved between zero to 12 months. And so, but PT, is not rare at all. Usually y'all are the first ones. And so I think at that point, to be a good, effective physical therapist, you've really got to have the trust of the mom or the dad or the caregiver. And if you understand these circles of communication and you're interacting with the baby in a very normal, positive Way you get that trust, and so you're significantly more effective. And if you have a better understanding, like you do of this whole circles of communication, then it just sets you up for success, really, as a therapist. You know, I think it's important. Keep going. I like it.
0: It is definitely a good thing to build rapport with the baby and with the mom. And how does it start doing these types of things from this course? But anyways, going on to stage four is shared problem solving, and this comes in from nine to eighteen months typically. Basically, what's going on in this one, the emergence of sense of self occurs. And the child forms ability to create a symbolic world. And they also have a continuous flow of about 50 to 60 circles of communication at this time. So we went from five to 10 opening and closing to now we've got a continuous flow of 50 to 60. So this is a prom stage. It really is. And it's my, like my age group at the Sandhill Children's Center, I'd say like a lot of them are in limbo between three and four. So definitely learned a lot yep. working and studying up on that stage. Stage five is creation of ideas. And this usually comes in 18 to 48 months. And What we're doing now, we're starting to use symbols in pretend play. And now we have a real meaningful use of language. So their language is starting to really emerge and come out. And now in their pretend play, they're using the bottle to the baby. They are really using those symbols. And then at number six, we have logical thinking. So now they're really at the symbolic level at this point. And now they're starting to connect ideas and they can reason why he or she feels a certain way.
1: Well, in that one, the stage you're talking about before, they understand they can do something to get something, basically, is what they've learned. If I do this, words are power. And then the stage you're talking about now is they can really start to putting more words together, answering questions, asking questions, that kind of thing.
0: Definitely. And then, you know, after logical thinking, The next three are are really your higher level, multi-casual. So now you're giving more reasons and varying degrees of why I feel this way. And then you get comparative and gray area thinking six to 10 years of age. And then they're actually comparing Mm -hmm. the different levels. Then reflective thinking, that is you know, a lot of us adults aren't there yet. So that's nine. And then life. There's not an age limit on that last one. When I was studying up on this stage, a quote came to me, Tom Sawyer, and it is, the most important days of your life will be the day you're born and the day that you figure out why. So I think that that quote definitely sums up the reflective thinking stage.
1: I think that's awesome. And you're right. That's kind of like the rest of your life, like forever. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. So that's how the class starts. It sets up defining these circles of communication, putting them with age groups of kids, and it's easy to come up with specific. As you move through those age groups, I was thinking about different kids and different, you know, stages of language and learning and that kind of thing. So it's good to sort of have those as a definition to start with. So you kind of know where different kids fall and you understand these open and closed circles of communication. So that's kind Mm -hmm. of where we are.
0: Yeah, that's like, the basis for everything. Like when you start working with a child, you've got to know their functional emotional level in order to provide the best treatment. Knowing those and studying up on those first is the first thing that I did in this online course. So we're talking about the DIR. And we just defined the developmental functional emotional levels, which is the D part of the model. The I part is individual differences. So this is the way the child comprehends sensations coming in, how they process them, how they respond to them. And this can be in different capacities. You know, if we were talking about sensory modulation and sensory processing. So how are they taking in sounds, vision, touch, smell, taste, how movement, and how are they filtering that experience to create a response to it? You have to look at all of these things along with their functional emotional level in order to, you know, provide the best treatment.
1: And so that's where the individual stuff comes in, which I love. That's awesome. And so then that's the I. What's the R stand for?
0: The R stands for relationships. And that means mom's relationship with baby, dad's babysitter, caregivers, therapists, doctors. It is the entire team. You really need a good solid relationship based on affect that we'll get into next to make it all come together. That makes sense. And you can see how also depend on these different circles
1: of communication and where a child may fall, how those relationships could be altered.
0: Right, definitely.
1: So then you said we're going to get into the effect of this, so talk to us a little bit about that.
0: In this course, Dr. Greenspan, he always reverts back to affect. Mm. Everything is based on affect. Relationships stem from affect. He made a comment in the course that All the scientists want to find out where your consciousness lies within your brain. They want to pinpoint it, and they want to see where the connection is. But he says numerous times, there's no specific area in your brain that is called consciousness. You are who you are, and you reason through life experiences, through social interaction, through your environment. Basically, he's saying that most brains really are developed postnatally. If you think about it, a baby is dependent. They are dependent on the caregiver. And with affect that comes into play because, that makes them happy, calm, alert, safe, secure. Then they start to imitate the caregiver because of the caregiver's affect. And just to go over the definition of affect, it is the expression of emotion through facial movement, body language, voice tone. And it's a emotion is a close but not exact synonym for affect. It is really the expression of emotion.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you to define it as they did it in this class. So say that definition one more time, Michelle, because I think it's really important.
0: It's the expression of emotion through facial movement, body language, or voice tone. It is close, but not an an exact synonym. So uh, synonym, excuse me, emotion (laughs) and affect.
1: That makes sense. And that also makes sense as you're talking about, you know, as brains are developing, that just makes sense because, you know, different environmental experiences affect how your brain develops.
0: Right, definitely. The role of affect is very important in this whole course that I took. It's how relationships are based on what they stem from. So to kind of get into more of your mental health diagnoses and now sometimes affect can really affect these. It's not how you get a mental health diagnosis or I'm not saying that I'm just saying that, you know, be cognizant of your affect with your baby. For example, simply anxiety. Kids that have anxiety, uh, a lot of the times over responders when we're talking about the sensory system. Mm -hmm. And if you think about a mom, if she is anxious and there's a loud sound and, you know, she's just very overreactive to it and has an affect that almost, you know, scares the baby. Well, the baby's not in that alert, in that calm stage that we talked about earlier. Um, There's going to be an increased likelihood that, you know, the baby's going to be anxious. Now, how can we do to help that? Say if they're in stage five and you're playing out solutions, there's a hurricane in the pretend play. Well, how can we make this, you know... A better, a calmer situation. Well, the fireman can help, but the bear is not so scary anymore. The bear is friendly. To go on to depression, a lot of times people are sensory overreactive to sensations. Same thing for anxiety. So if a toddler has a strong affect of some kind and the caregiver freezes and is panicked by the child's intensity, the caregiver is basically still faced and they're not giving that baby the affect that they need, the baby is searching for that. And eventually they're going to give up and they're going to feel alone and they're going to feel depressed. And this can happen in three seconds. It doesn't take that long. And this comes from some of our babies that are in hospitals for a long time if they don't receive that affect from caregivers or even, you know, orphans. So it's definitely something to think about. And when you're talking about obsessive compulsive patterns, these kids have to really be in control of their environment. They have an increase in their visual spatial patterns. So if the child does not want to wear the socks because of the fabric on the toes, instead of making that child wear them to do this approach correctly, you really need to negotiate. Let's see what we can find together. You really need to be flexible and so that the child still feels like they are in control. You really want to try your best to counter-regulate those responses. I'll talk about one more, which is pretty common, is ADD and ADHD so activity and attention. They are sensory cravers. These kids are our daredevils. They are climbing, jumping, they're banging, they're just craving some type of movement. So how can we help with this by using this approach? So we can slow it down, we can speed it up. Um, A great OT over at the Sand Hill Children's Center, she does a great idea. She has a paper plate that is cut in half and she has Red for stop, yellow for slowing down, and then green for go, go, full out. And the kid is in control. You got to let the kid be in control and follow their lead. He can tell, you know, he can make the obstacle course go fast. He can make it slow down or he can stop. And so that way he, the kid is regulating himself. So, you know, we're simply prompting, again, stop and go. Obstacle courses are great for our kids with ADD. So setting that intention and Matching your kid on that functional emotional level, taking the tips and meeting them there at their level and following their lead is really the key components to this whole approach.
1: You're right. It's imperative, and I can just see all kinds of different incidences and think of different kids. And I'm sure people listening can also think of situations where you know the caregiver, the adult's affect has directly affected, you know various circles and then also just, different things for the child. You know, I think the family's affect can cause different reactions in the child. And so, and they, it's sort of that learned behavior happens and then you get other things that go along with it, like depression or anxiety or obsessive compulsive or whatever. But yeah, I, I get that. It makes perfect sense. When you really understand this approach, it makes perfect sense.
0: Definitely. And you know, like he, we were talking about earlier, we develop our consciousness postnatally Yep, and it's not yep. part of our brain. So your environment forms a lot. So it's definitely something to think about.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I really though, Michelle, as you're talking, this approach can be used with all kids. I mean, I can't think of any child really that I've ever worked with that this wouldn't be appropriate with at some level, you know? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I could see for everybody.
0: I definitely agree. It doesn't have to be a specific diagnosis, autism or, you know, whatever the diagnosis is or case is. I just think that if anyone needs a little boost in engaging and communicating, then this is your model.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, and I know for years at PDT, we've been a big fan of this course and a lot of our therapists have been through it and I recommend it. There's very few courses I'll recommend, like as a blanket, as all therapists should take this, but this is one of them. I have a few, but this is one of them. I think all therapists should take this because it's just so much valuable info and I think you can really use it for everybody. That being said, you can use it for a wide variety of diagnoses. What do they talk about in the course in terms of evaluation for children?
0: You're going to be doing a lot of observing for evaluating the child, whether you're in the home, whether you're in the school, in the office, you're going to be observing them. You Figure out which functional emotional level that you think that they're in, Mm -hmm. and you're going to go from there, but you're also going to start doing some coaching with the caregivers. They recommend about a 45 treatment observation or more, and then if you want, you know, feel free to start doing some coaching with them. We'll get into the coaching and tips in a little bit. But just going off of the assessment and the eval, you also want to get their history, obviously, their current function, what I just said, the, the related patterns, biological factors, their family patterns. The family dynamic is very important because we're going back to that relationship. You know, how are mom and dad together? And is grandpa in the picture? Whoever it is, you need to put that into context too. And then they talk about how to qualify. They say in the course, look in the fine print in the clinical impressions. don't have to have a standard score to qualify to do this approach, so to say.
1: I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it because I'm not all about just a standard score because then it discounts the therapist clinical observation, the clinical skills. And then also it's not boxing out every child into one spot. So that's one of my most favorite things about this.
0: I know a lot of our therapists do that already. Yeah. But also you're taking into account the interactive disorders, regulatory sensory processing, neurodevelopmental disorders of communicating, language, learning challenges, You are doing visual spatial, there's stress, family patterns, meds, motor planning, motor sequencing. You are, when I say you're looking at the entire child, you are looking at the entire child and then their whole family and the way that they work together as well. So it is definitely a whole team, a whole child approach.
1: I love it. I love it. It reminds me of in the book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, he talks about, but he talks about this in a business sense. In a business, you know, it's important to pick up all the rocks and look at the worms. And that's kind of sort of a negative way to put it in terms of observation with a child. I'm not looking for worms necessarily. You have to really... Look at everything. And your best tool is observation, like what you're saying. So I like the whole idea of looking at everything and, you know, asking lots of questions and really observing and looking at the mom and dad or whoever is involved with that child's life. I love that. So you're doing that. So then where do they go from there?
0: Well, once you have that Mm -hmm. and figure out their goals and what functional emotional level they are in, you can start to treat and we can get into how you actually use this approach
1: Next. Yes, that sounds great. Why don't you talk to us about how you use it? That sounds awesome, Michelle.
0: Yeah, okay. So we'll discuss some four-time principles. Basically, we want to follow the child's lead. In other words, don't take over the pretend play or game. You don't need to take over. We are following their lead, and it is our job to challenge them, for them to be creative and spontaneous. And we can do that various ways. Then we challenge. Then what comes next is we expand on the challenge. So we're expanding the action and the interaction to include all or almost all of your child's senses and motor skills, as well as different emotions, too. Examples are being playfully obstructive, playing a fence game. So you're running and then all of a sudden there's a fence and you're, you know, you can use your body to be playfully obstructive. And then, you know, the door. Well, we have to stay open before we go out. You know, what if they take a toy and or they open the door, close the door of the car, then it goes on a trip, and you make that trip up. Try to get them engaged, and you're enticing, you're using high affect. They pick up a toy, and then they throw it. Next, how about they pick it up, and then you take it, and you put it on your head, or you might put it under your shirt, or you might just simply give it back, and then they give it back to you. It can be very simple, or you can make it as complex as an entire made-up theme story with lots of rules that your child made, and you expand on it as you go. The class was pretty long, so I can't really go through every example. That's what we find the different stage or level, functional, emotionally speaking, and then we go from there. So let's say that the child is in level three. That's the two-way purposeful communication. but. They're completing five to 10 circles of communication at a time. So what we want to do is expand on that. Say a kid's in the swing and they're throwing you the ball. Okay, that's great. They're giving you like 10 balls. They've thrown you 10 balls. Well, now let's expand that and change the scene and have them throw that ball into a bucket across the room. So now we've kind of switched the environment. That's one way to look at it. Yeah, awesome. Just you, you really have to learn to be really creative and learn how to challenge and expand. And it's tough. Actually, I just did this over Christmas break and I'm starting to play around with this approach at work. And a very great coworker, Patty Zellner, OT, is a master at this approach. She and is, she definitely. helps so much. You know, she says, What stage do you think he's in, little Johnny? And I'll say, And then she says, How would you? expand and we go back and forth on how to be more creative so it's really just once you have the foundation and you know the stages and you take everything into account it's getting in there and practicing and working on your own creativity on how to prompt now you don't want to prompt too much you've got to have the child be spontaneous and create their own thoughts or ideas or gestures eye contact whatever it is It's got to be coming from them. We are there to just simply prompt them.
1: Well, and you've got a purpose to what you're doing, but yet it's fun for the child. And I think, and so they're engaged. They're motivated, they're with you, they're connected, and you're building those connections even more. But I think it's fun for the child, and it is child-directed, but with a purpose. And then I think also, like Michelle, like you're talking about, so for people who are listening, the more you do this and use this approach, the more it just becomes second nature. So you don't even realize you're doing it anymore, or you don't even realize you stop thinking about it as much, and it just becomes sort of what you do, kind of, it's just part of your regular therapy repertoire. Right, definitely. So I think when you were talking, Michelle, that example that you gave, I thought was perfect because it shows how a physical therapist and a speech therapist could both use this Greenspan approach and still achieve, I'm going to try to work on one set of goals and you're working on another set of goals with a child, but yet that example could be used by either a PT or a speech person. I think that example really also just shows how this approach is applicable to all different disciplines and... Children at various stages and with therapists who are, you know, trying to work on different goals. To me, it just makes good sense.
0: Definitely. I mean, and you can do that in varying degrees. You know, it's a bucket, and then it's the adult, then it's the therapist. And then when they get really good at the therapist, then you gotta get that peer in there yep. and see if they'll yep. throw and catch with the peer across the room, short distance, long distance. You wanna have variability. And let's say the child is at a stage two or a stage three, and you have a ball play goal for PT and they give you eye contact, but they can't open and close a circle with a ball, you know, and you try all kinds of balls. This happened to me today, actually, a first-time treatment. I did a lot of observing, and I kind of, you know, rated him on the functional-emotional scale, so to say. He's about a two and a three, a mix of those, and he gave me good eye contact throughout the session, and he enjoyed therapy. So that's a good foundation for him, right? Yeah, that's
1: positive. So th- you want him to at least be having some fun. <laughs> yeah. It work works in your that's favor. the
0: thing. First time is, you know, sometimes nervous for a little baby. Yeah. Then, you know, the goal states throw and catch, three exchanges, three to five feet or something like along that measure. You know, I didn't go in there and just throw the ball at him. I wanted to first see if he could hand me the ball. Could he take the ball from my hand and look me in the eye? Did he pick various balls? I'm looking at all of that first before I just go and throw him the ball. And he had a hard time with that, closing the circle. He did take it from my hand and look at me, so that's good. But if I said, can I have it, he was not He wasn't okay with that. So that's what I'll be working on the upcoming sessions. Yeah, just varying degrees of how we can... Put PT goals into the foundation of this Greenspan four time approach. Yeah, because the fact
1: the little fellow you're talking about, I mean, if your goal is to go in there and have him like throw and catch the ball and be interactive and you throw it to me and I throw it to you, he's not at that stage. So he's not at that, you know, social situation where he's not really caring that you're going to catch it and you're going to throw it back. And I mean, he's not ready to play catch. So you'll never be successful as a physical therapist. You know, you're never going to be successful throwing and catch and throwing a catch and a ball. I mean, at that point. So you have to sort of modify your therapy then to basically meet him where he is.
0: Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. You have to meet them yeah. at their functional emotional stage. And Dr. Greenspan says that over and over. If you're at a child two and you're trying to do level four or five activities, you're not going to be very successful.
1: No. Yeah. And so then I think sometimes then you see situations where, okay, child's not meeting goal, not meeting goal, not meeting goal. But it's really the plan of care. The plan of care is not appropriate. I mean, the child still has deficits, but this little fellow you're talking about, there's not going to be able to meet the goal of playing catch with somebody yet. But if you're working on throwing or whatever motor thing you're working on, he could be successful if you write the goal so that he's able to meet it where he is you know, in his his emotional, functional, emotional level. So, Michelle, why don't you talk a little bit about coaching? I know that's an important principle in this approach. So talk to us a little bit about coaching and how you would do that, kind of using this example.
0: So what I would do, like if I were in a home, the mom is following the kid. The kid goes to the train set. I would first watch mom and how she interacts, and then I would ask mom some questions, like what is she looking to get, you know, out of her What does she want? And then after that, I'll make some suggestions. I'll tell her that we want to start with his or her strengths, and we're going to enter into their world. So if they want the train set, then awesome. Let's put a stop sign up as it's going and then make it stop doing that obstructive play. Maybe the train set goes all the way up onto your arm and over your head, and now you're getting more eye contact. You're getting more engagement. You're enticing them more. Um, you you know, give and take, opening and closing the circles. Can I have the train? Can you find the train? Based on, you know, really where they are in that functional emotional level is how you're going to coach and go from there.
1: Yep, exactly. And so I think the coaching is natural. It happens as part of the therapy. And then it automatically just leads into the home program of what the family is going to do at the home as well, or what the teachers are going to take back and use in the classroom. I think it just lends itself to sort of a natural progression of all that.
0: Definitely. And another side note would be, you know, parents say, do I have to do this all of the time? Can I ever get a break? You know, this is, and I'm talking about floor time. I'm not talking about my gross motor goals for my kids, just the, you know, the floor time. And what Dr. Greenspan says in this course is that you have to think of it with these kids that their central nervous systems are under stress at all times when they are not regulated or interacting. So you got to think of it like that. Even if you're just on the floor and your kid is laying on your lap and you're getting some type of emotion, affect, and right. just a little bit, then great. But when, you know, if they're, you know, spinning or stemming off of something, or they're spinning the string or whatever, they're not regulated. So we want to think of it like we want them you know, as regulated as possible at all times, as much as possible, even if that's just a kiss on the cheek to entice them and make them feel loving and welcoming and whatnot.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I think that's important to point out the, the fact that it's sort of a how you live. It's sort of You just sort of incorporate this approach into regular, everyday interaction. Again, it's really not that once you get used to it, it's not that hard to do. And it's really not like you're adding something else to do. It just becomes part of what you do.
0: Right, exactly. And you know, we do this, all of us therapy therapists at PDT, we do this. Mm-hmm. We do it every day, whether we took this course or not. The difference is that by taking this course, I've broken it down. And now I can be more um, detailed with my treatments. And you can just dig a little bit deeper and you know why. So that's why you think this course is wonderful and I recommend
1: it. I think, Michelle, you really hit the nail on the head right there because I think all the therapists at PET do this. But I think once you've taken the course, then you're more intentional and purposeful about what you're doing and and you kind of understand the why a little bit. So I think that really is what this course does for you. It makes you very intentional about you know, the circles of communication, understanding that, and then also intentional about sometimes the goals you write or the things you pick to do in therapy or the approach, you know, how you work on a certain goal and why you're working on it. But you're right, I agree. I see it happening all the time. So Michelle, we've been focusing a lot on the individual child's treatment and how to use this approach for that. But talk to us a little bit about the application of this approach in social groups.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, it is great to have the adult and the child and the adult and the mom and dad there, you know, continuously challenging, expanding. They're doing great. So the next step is really getting them into social groups or, you know, peer level engagement. And it's just some good tips to take away. I won't want to elaborate too much, but you want there to always be multiple environments, sensory and symbolic. So, Jim, you need a sensory corner a lot of the times because a lot of times our kids are over or under sensory modulated so you Mm -hmm. want that that cloud with pillows or the duvet corners um, so that when they're overwhelmed because there are a lot of kids in the room or or whatever the case is they can kind of go take a break and that is completely okay also to have a social group more than two kids you really want the child to be a functional emotional Mm -hmm. level four you really need that continuous flow of opening and closing circles of, and engagement because if not, it's going to be tough to get them to really engage. And remember that level four, they're getting that emergence of self. They're, you know, forming a symbolic world so you can start the pretend play. The kids can help make up their rules and their games of whatever it may be. Well, and up to this
1: point, really, they've been just sort of engaged in parallel play. So they really at this point is when they start to recognize, oh, there's other people and they're sort of developmentally ready to, you know, for that pretend play and social interaction and and doing things together versus just that parallel play. That was my little speech and language interlude, but all right, go ahead, Michelle, keep going.
0: You also want to complement the kid's sensory profiles. You really want like an over-responder with an under-responder. You want them to counter-regulate each other. If you have two overs, that's going to be hard to get them to engage with each other because they may just be running and running and running circles and, you know. You'll have to do a lot more prompting. It might be a little more difficult, but, you know, it can be done. He says it can be done. It's just, you know, it would be better to have an over with an under so that they can counter-regulate. Yeah. And as well as for their functional emotional levels, you can have like a five with a four. So that one may be leading more, and, and that's okay. You know, the four can maybe follow and feed off and learn some things from the fives, and that's good, too. Yep. You know, look at that, too. We want the children to come up with their own games, their own ideas. We're still following their lead. We're not creating and telling them what to say. We're prompting, but we're not setting it all up for them 100%. We want them to regulate, attend, to to engage. We always must remember that our goal is to encourage the interaction between the kids and not us. So if the kid comes up to you and says, can I have the toy off of the shelf? The shelf is way up high. You're the adult and, you know, you're taller. You might think, sure, I'll get it for the kid, no problem. Well, how we can prompt is say, well, let's look around the room and see who else is around to help us get this toy. And somehow we can create, you know, this whole interaction of getting this just toy off of the shelf. And we want to redirect kids towards one another, like I just said counter-regulating and patience. I think that's the biggest key that they made in the whole... There were about, I don't know, four videos on social groups. And at the end, in big, bold letters, it says patience with an exclamation point. So it takes time to learn how to interact with these kids in a group setting.
1: Sometimes when I've been involved in groups like this, you know, I've struggled as a therapist because I want things to go a certain way. And I want, you know all the kids to be equally engaged every time. You know, I would feel like I want to sort of run the group. And I've used this approach in social groups before, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just like organized chaos. What the heck are we doing here, people? But really, if you are patient and you give it some time and you really are using this approach, it's definitely not organized chaos. It's actually very organized functional purposeful kind of more real life the way groups sort of are supposed to be versus an adult leading the group and saying okay now it's your time to talk johnny now it's your time to talk Susie. now you know now it's cindy's turn it's really the way a group and it's actually much richer language wise from a speech and language perspective it's a much richer language group than when an adult runs it but it takes a few minutes of getting used to in my opinion
0: oh definitely um, yeah you know being PT and I haven't really done too much of this except yoga groups we do, and I go on the playground a lot and I get the kids involved. Most of the time they are typically developing, so this is new for me as well. But I'm gonna get my hands dirty and try some of this out too. But some other tips that they had, you know, just helping a kid try and get you up. So one kid joins in and the other kid doesn't care, but then all of a sudden two mo- more kids are in. Well, then they don't want to be left out. Yeah. So everybody is helping this big adult off of the floor and then you've got engagement and then language comes. Like you said, you know, you might start it off by jumping on the trampoline and you're like, Oh, this is so fun. You have high effect. And then the kids want to jump. Well then you can get off and then hopefully they'll come up with a popcorn game or something on their own, but you may have to prompt that. But then you want them to at least make the rules up. And another point, He also makes at the end of all of this, because I'm like, how in the world are these kids going to do all this on their own and we can't do too much for them? Well, he does say it is hard. It takes time. It takes a lot of patience. You can use, if it's going really, having a difficult time, you can use semi-structured games. Well, so your whiteboard, painting, tic tac toe, but let the kids make up the rules. It doesn't have to be three X's and you're out. Let the kids just make it up. It doesn't matter. Let them be in control. Start with some semi structure games if you have to, absolutely have to. And then, you know, you can build and expand on after that.
1: Yep. It does take some getting used to and some practice. But again, if you just are patient with it and give it a minute or time and let it sort of happen and really focus and use this approach and believe in that, it really, if you bought into it, it really does work. I've seen it work, and, but it takes some getting used to. It really does. So thanks, Michelle, for being here. This was great. Great information. Fabulous. I would highly recommend this class to anybody who wants to attend. The time it takes and the cost of the class is nothing compared to what you get back out of the class. So this was great information. And again, I would recommend it to anybody.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. It's definitely worth the time and the money. I recommend it as well to any and every therapist, no matter if you're speech OT, PT assistant, or therapist, it doesn't matter. I think it's wonderful, and I've already really started to use the tools that it's given me, and I can see it helping.
1: Yeah, I agree. So, any discipline, go to this class. It's uh, Stanley Greenspan, the floor time approach fantastic class. So if if you're looking for CEUs or just other continuing ed, then pay attention to this one. So thanks again, Michelle, for being here. I really appreciate it. Always good to hang out with Michelle. So thank you again. Your insight was fabulous. Really great. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Hayden, for having me. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks.
1: Good deal. Yeah, awesome. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And I'll catch you on another episode of The Working Therapist.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist,
1: an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit
0: us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.